Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. As we inch toward Easter 2022, I want to encourage you to re-engage in worship. We need one another, and we need the Lord. Here's two opportunities coming up. One is our service of darkness, Thursday, April 14th, 7 o'clock. It's a time of remembering the sacrifice, the death of Jesus Christ. And then on April 17th, Sunday morning, 8.30, 9.45, 11 o'clock, we are going to remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And we need both of those. We need to remember the death and the resurrection. As Paul says in Philippians 2, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. So if you have yet to re-engage in worship, let me encourage you, now is the time. So in 1958, there was a man by the name of Robert Lane, and Robert had his first son, and Robert had an unusual sense of humor, and so he named his first son Winner, W-I-N-N-E-R, when you hear the winner of a race. So Winner Lane was born in 1958. His father, Robert, would go on to have five more children that all had relatively normal names. And then a final, a seventh child, whom he named Loser, Loser Lane. I'm not making this up. This is, this is fact. Now, you would think with names like Winner and Loser, uh, that their destinies would be pretty much dictated for them, but life is rarely that simple, isn't it? Winner Lane would grow up to have an alcohol problem, be arrested several times for burglary, domestic violence, and at last report, Winner Lane was living in a homeless shelter in upstate New York. Loser Lane would grow up to go to college in Pennsylvania, return to New York to be a part of the New York Police Department where he's had a very distinguished career, uh, his co-workers don't call him loser, they just call him Lou, and you know, he's really not all that ashamed of his name. He just lives with it, and he goes on, he's doing the next right thing, and at last report, the two brothers were not really speaking with one another. So, so sometimes we think that somebody's name will tell us a lot about that person, but again, life is seldom that easy. And as we look at the crucifixion of Jesus in Luke chapter 23, and all the people who were near the cross... We only really know the name of one person, that's Simon of Cyrene, who we talked about a few weeks ago. But for the others involved, those who look like winners are actually losers, and those who at first appear to be losers are actually the winners. So the people who look like they're winning here are the executioners, the soldiers who crucified Jesus, but really they end up losing. They're so involved in their entertainment of themselves that they miss eternity happening right in front of them. And those who appear to be losers are actually winners. There are two criminals crucified on either side of Jesus. One literally decided that bitterness was the hill he was going to die on, both figuratively and literally. But the other criminal, the other criminal had a change of heart. And what his relationship with Jesus lacked in length, it made up for in depth and immediacy and urgency. And his relationship with Jesus changed in the six hours they were on the cross together side by side. And now somebody who looked like a loser actually became a winner because of what he did with Jesus. So there's one more person we need to talk about who is near the cross of Christ. And again, we don't know his name. 
He's just called a centurion. He was probably the soldier in charge of the crucifixion detail to make sure that these men died as Roman, Rome had ordered. And so here's what it says in Luke 23, starting in verse 44. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, again, we don't know his name, but the centurion, seeing what happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. And all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place. They beat their breasts and they went away. So right now I'm reading through the book of Proverbs and there's a really interesting phrase that shows up a few times in Proverbs where, where you, you look at something and the writer of the Proverbs wants you to stop and think about it. He'll say, apply your heart to this. Because sometimes we're like that stone, we just kind of skip over the surface of the water. But, but every now and then we should apply our heart to something. And so I'm going to ask you to apply your heart to what we're reading right here. And in doing that to apply your ears and would you hear four characters that speak at this moment of Jesus' last breath and death? First of all, creation speaks. It says that everything around for three hours got really, really dark. Now, I love talking about creation because creation is creative. Uh, there's um, a, a cluster of stars not too far from here. It's called the Centaurus Constellation. And in it, there's a white dwarf star that is growing cold. Now, cold is a relative term. It's about 12,000 degrees. But as it grows colder, the pressure is building, and its carbonized core is beginning to solidify. And when you compress carbon, what, what happens? It becomes a diamond. And so scientists, as they're looking at this star, they say, we're pretty sure that the star literally is a diamond suspended in space of 10 billion billion carats. By the way, the biggest diamond we discover on Earth is about 600 carats. This is 10 billion billion carats. How about that? It's about 50 light years away, so don't have any dreams about going to fetch some to bring back for your fiance. Oh, and by the way, astronomers have a good sense of humor. They've called this star Lucy. You know, Lucy in the sky with diamonds. There's a diamond suspended in space. But at this moment, creation is not sparkling. Creation grows dark. Uh, there's some people who said, well, you know, an eclipse happens here. And, and this is kind of a side note. I know this, but I find this stuff fascinating that, that Passover is based on the full moon of the Jewish calendar and full moons and eclipses don't go together. So something else is happening here. And I know you've been a part of this where all of a sudden, the clouds come over, day turns into night, the temperature drops, the wind picks up, it's darkness. Creation is crying out because what it sees is desperately wrong. This is more than just a Jewish carpenter being a victim of Roman injustice. Creation is telling us the world is about to change. So creation speaks. Then the temple speaks. As, as the place grows dark, somewhere right before Jesus dies, it says the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Now, here's what we often kind of 
again, I'm going to ask you to apply your heart to this because we kind of skip over these things. The temple is not just where people would go to meet with God. The temple, the Jews believed, is where heaven and earth intersect. Heaven and earth overlap, especially in the Holy of Holies, where God's presence in heaven and on earth are real, tangible, right there. The trouble is that intersection is distant, it's removed, it's guarded by a curtain. Not anyone can just walk in. So when the curtain of the temple is rent in two from top to bottom, coming from the direction of God, you know, figuratively, all the way down to us, that heaven and earth overlap now begins to permeate all around. And what does the New Testament say? What does the New Testament say about where the temple is today? It's the human heart. This is where heaven and earth overlap. This is where heaven and earth intersect right here. Can I encourage you? Wherever you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, the presence of God goes with you. Now, I don't mean this as a threat. I think about that old trope of, uh, you know, there's a, a lunch line at a, at a Christian school, little elementary Christian school, and, and there's a big old plate of apples, and the teachers have put a sign there, take only one apple, God is watching. And over here, there's a big plate of cookies, and one of the kids had improvised a little sign that says, take all the cookies you want because God is watching the apples, you know. There, there's a sense in which you can, you can say, you know, God's watching, God is there, it feels like a threat. That's not this. God's presence is with you wherever you go. Could I encourage you, practice the presence of God. Wherever you are as you listen to this right now, in Christ and in your heart, God is present with you. Also, practice the presence of people. That's something the pandemic has taken away from us. That's something that maybe we should appreciate now more than anything. You know, we, we've been in this pandemic now for two solid years. And me, I'm just a little over 50 years old, so now 1 25th of my life has been lived in a pandemic. You know what? No more. Now it's time to practice the presence of God. Now it's time to practice the presence of people. And now is the time to practice the present moment. Too often we live in the future and we're afraid. We live in the past and guilt. We are not meant to live in those times. We are meant to live right now. And I think as we practice the presence of God and the practice the presence of people and practice the present moment, something holy happens. So the temple, the curtain being torn in two, if if the darkness of creation tells us that the world has changed, what happens in the temple tells us that faith is changing, that religion, if you kind of take that word in the positive sense, religion is changing. Whereas creation tells us that God's judgment has come, what happens in the temple tells us that God's salvation has come. So creation speaks, the temple speaks, and then Jesus speaks. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, there are seven things that Jesus says on the cross, three of which are prayers. And as I've dug into these over the years, I've been amazed at the way Jesus prays from the cross. It's everything that we're lousy at doing, he does really well. And, you know, that's why he's Jesus, right? Sometimes we're lousy at these things, but Jesus does them really well. Here are Jesus' three prayers. Father, forgive them. Let me be totally honest with you. Hopefully, I'm always honest with you, but we stink at forgiveness. We stink at 
forgiveness. I think we Christians talk a good game, but when it actually comes down to it and somebody's hurt us, it's just easier to hold a grudge. It's easier to hold on to something than let it go. Listen, forgiveness is like a muscle. You got to use it. And if you're not using it, you're going to lose it. And so think about forgiveness in terms of a process. Uh, Jesus said this. He said, forgive somebody 70 times 7 or 77 times. Maybe it's not 77 different sins they committed. Maybe it's the same one, and you have to forgive it over and over and over again. And I've practiced this in my own life. Somebody's hurt me. I say, okay, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to let it go. Next day, it's back. So what do I do? I let it go again. I forgive them again and again and again and again until in that forgiveness there is finally freedom. Young lady on, my, on our staff was recently talking about uh, taking dance lessons when she was growing up, ballet. And she said her, her teacher used to teach her this, that practice makes permanent. That, that as you practice something, it becomes a habit and it becomes a permanent habit. Isn't that the way forgiveness should work? That practice doesn't make perfect. We're never going to be perfect at it. But practice makes permanent. Here's what I know. That forgiveness is a door on your heart and it opens from the inside. And if you decide that somebody is not worth forgiving and you close that door, Jesus is very clear. If you close your door of your heart to giving forgiveness, you also close it to receiving forgiveness. That door opens from the inside. Where's that door right now for you? So Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Then he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22. Um, This is interesting. This is the only prayer in the New Testament in which Jesus does not refer to God as his Father. Every other prayer, he speaks to God as Father, but not here. He, He can't sense God's presence. Now, God is there at Calvary, but Jesus is so overwhelmed by what's happening, the sin of the world being put on him, he can't sense God's presence. As Jesus is good at forgiveness, he's also just good at being honest with God, and that's something else we kind of stink at. We pray platitudes. Why don't you tell God what you're really feeling? Tell him what you're really holding on to. Tell him how you really feel. But then we see Jesus come back this final prayer, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Father, he comes back full circle. Even though I can't feel you right now, you are still Father, and I surrender to you. There's a story of a Jewish rabbi overlooking the hill of the town where he lived his life, and the Cossacks were coming in, they were raiding, they were killing. And he told his young assistant, he said, if only I were God. And the young assistant to the rabbi said, well, if you were God, what would you change? He said, I would change nothing, but if I were God, I would understand. Listen, part of being human is that we don't understand. But part of being followers of Jesus is we learn how to trust. I don't think Jesus fully understood what was happening at this moment, but he knew how to trust, surrender. So Jesus speaks. Now, let's continue because I know we're talking about the centurion. We're there now. The centurion speaks. Surely this is a righteous man. And here's where Luke, again, is different from Matthew and Mark. And they both hear the centurion say something 
They hear snatches of conversation. They hear different parts. In, in Matthew and Mark, it says, surely this is the Son of God. And here in Luke, it says, surely this was a righteous man. Probably together, what the centurion said was something like this. This is a man who is right before God. And he is right to call God his Father. So in the medieval world, there's a unit of time. This is going to sound familiar. It's called a moment. A moment in time. That literally in the, in the medieval world was about 40 seconds. Okay, so, so 40 seconds, excuse me, 90 seconds was considered a moment. About a minute and a half was considered to be a moment. What happens here as the centurion sees the darkness come over the face of the earth? He probably doesn't know what's happening in the temple. If he did, it probably wouldn't mean much to him anyway. But he sees what Jesus says and he sees how Jesus dies. And in this moment, something changes in him. You see, as creation speaks, we're told that the world is changing. As the temple speaks, we're told that faith is changing. When the centurion speaks, we see that hearts are changing. And his heart is open to something new happening between him and God in just this fragile moment. So John Stott says this, and I, I think this is worth considering on, on your behalf very clearly. He says, before, uh, I tell you what, instead of me trying to quote it, let me read it because I think it'll come across better. Here's what John Stott says. He says, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see as it's something being done by us. Let me read that again. Before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, sometimes we jump ahead to that. We say, yeah, the, the cross is, is done for me. But before we see it that way, we have to see it as something done by us. And there's been a false narrative over the years that, oh, the Roman political machinery killed Jesus or the Jews and their religion killed Jesus. That is to miss the point. We killed Jesus. Our sin, unless we are willing to die on our own, for our own sins, Christ has offered himself as a sacrifice for us. This is done by us. And it should lead us to a place of repentance. And only when we discover it's something done by us can we then cross the threshold of faith and see this is something done for us. I've been doing a little reading on Eisenhower here uh, recently, and when he was a boy, he had an infection in his leg, and the doctors wanted to amputate. So as he's laying in bed in his, his home, he was afraid the doctors would come in while he was asleep and amputate his leg. And so he asked his brother to lay in front of his bedroom door and to hold vigil right there to make sure that no one could, could cut off his leg while he slept. But by, by the way, he's a football player. That's what he wanted to do is keep playing football. But if his leg had been amputated, he never would have become a general and he never would have led the Allied invasion of Europe. So there's a lot on stake on the line here. So his brother held vigil in order to save his brother's leg. The centurion is keeping vigil, not to make sure somebody lives, but to make sure somebody dies, to make sure that the end of his shift that Jesus is dead, but as he does this, he is unknowingly near the cross. And in a moment, 
something happens that moves him from being a loser to being a winner, to being just another soldier on duty, to being a person whose heart is open for the first time to God. Could I encourage you this Easter? Open up your heart. It's springtime. We did this around our house. We opened up the windows of our house and let the, let the cool air in, let the fresh air in. Could I encourage you to open the windows of your soul and to let God in for just a moment? And even if life has labeled you as a loser, before God, you're a winner as you begin again. Father, I pray for everyone who hears the words of this message that they would listen. They would listen to creation and to the temple and to Jesus and to the centurion to see that the world is changing, that faith is changing, and that hearts can change. Whether we've been a loser our whole life doesn't matter because in this moment, as we stand before you and we see the cross as something done by us but also done for us, you translate us into winners in your economy in your view of things. We say yes to you. And we say yes through the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and grant you peace now and forever. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing And I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.